Thank you, Dr. Grace, and thank you, worship team, this morning for leading us in worship. God has much to say to us in the final epistle of the Apostle Paul, 2 Timothy. And in fact, in the last verses of that particular epistle, in that last chapter, he has much to say to us about how to capture a focus in our ministry, the importance of personal relationships in our ministry, and the fulfillment of our mission, God's mission in our ministry. God used the great apostle Paul in incredible ways. He was the consummate missionary. And so in this last passage, chapter four of 2 Timothy, from verses nine through the end of the chapter 22, we'll listen to final words for a faithful and powerful missionary ministry. Paul was at the end of his life in 2 Timothy. He was at the end of his ministry here on planet Earth. He was facing execution. Paul never sought fame for himself, but he sought for the fame of the name of Jesus. He sought for the proclamation of the gospel to all peoples in the name of Jesus to be heard and believed on to the ends of the earth. And so while this final epistle reflects the end of his life and ministry on this earth, it marks the next stage in the expansion of the missionary ministry of the local church. And so the local church heeded uh, this particular letter as well as God's great commission. And within two centuries, they had taken much of planet earth. So here he gives us his final instructions in chapter four. He mentions names of people, both for their faithfulness and some for their unfaithfulness. His last words are meant to be an encouragement to Timothy, to the church throughout the ages, and to us today. He asked Timothy to come visit him in his imprisonment. Timothy is someone special. Paul said this about Timothy in chapter 2 of Philippians, verses 19 to 24. For I have no one like him who will be genuinely concerned for your welfare. But you know Timothy's proven worth. How as a son with a father, he has served with me in the gospel. That's quite a statement. There is no one like him. Timothy was special as Paul writes this inspired letter to Timothy. And from chapter one in this epistle all the way through to the end, we can feel the great love of the apostle Paul for his young disciple, Timothy. Surely he wanted to see him personally one more time. But he might also very well desired to commend unto him more responsibility to be taken on upon Paul's death. In Paul's death, he most likely wanted to pass on the torch of missionary leadership to the world. And he loved and trusted Timothy. So there are three particular breaks in this passage that we'll talk about today. And the first one is Paul's final missionary instructions in verses 9 through 15. Bible says, Do your best to come to me soon, 
For Demas, in love with this present world, has deserted me and gone to Thessalonica. Christians has gone to Galatia, Titus to Dalmatia. Luke alone is with me. Get Mark and bring him with you, for he is very useful to me for ministry. Tychicus I have sent to Ephesus. And when you come, bring the cloak that I left with Carpus at Troas, also the books and above all the parchments. Alexander the coppersmith did, did me great harm, and the Lord will repay him according to his deeds. Beware of him yourself, for he is strongly opposed our message. This is a very personal epistle. Paul's speaking to Timothy, and he's noting many others as he does this. Paul never uses the word lonely, but you can sense his loneliness. He admonishes, he beseeches to Timothy to come before soon. He'll say that at the end of this epistle as well. Paul had a strong fellowship with his other fellow workers, but his relationship with Timothy is special. Do your best, Timothy, to come soon. Here at the end of his life, Paul is still giving oversight to his missionary co-laborers and their strategic places of service, even till the end of his days. Paul sent men to accomplish God's mission and great commission to the very end of his life, Crescens, Titus, Tychicus, and others. And in the first few verses of this passage, he mentions at the beginning and at the end of the names, two men who abandoned or opposed his mission, Demas and Alexander the coppersmith. This gives a warning to Timothy of those who would perhaps abandon him in the future, and clearly that he would face intense opposition. Timothy had faced opposition in the church in Ephesus. We can see that in the first epistle to Timothy as well. He faced opposition, but this warranted a strong admonition from Paul. First, Paul mentions Demas. That must have been painful for Paul, hurtful for Paul. Demas had served alongside of him, and now he left him apparently to return to the pursuits of this present world. That was disappointing and hurtful to the great apostle. The attractions of this present world and worldliness are a reality for all of us. No one here can escape that temptation. Demas left Paul and gospel ministry for the offerings, the stuff, the things of this present world. Paul chose the riches of Christ and eternity with him. There is a temptation for all of us to be absorbed in and give our energy to and our life to the things of this world. Paul would admonish us to abandon the love of this world. 1 John 2, verses 15 to 17 is a very familiar passage where the apostle admonishes us, love not the world, nor the things that are in the world, for the world is passing away. Perhaps the best way to see if someone is really in the faith is to see if they actually finish in the faith. And so Demas abandoned the mission for the world. Next, Paul mentions some other men. 
He built a strong, godly relationship with them. And if you have ever, and I trust you have, worked together with a strong group of people, men and women that you serve with, you understand that what Paul is talking about in his relationship with these people needs no explanation. You understand what it is. It's more than friendship. It's much more than that. You will know you have it when you have experienced it. These were men that Paul trusted, and he sent them to strategic places. In missionary ministry, one must often cross borders, cross cultures, and face strong obstacles. So strong bonds of fellowship and work relationship serve when people are in often difficult places. Paul had a bond with these. He's going to speak at the end of this letter of his bond with Prisca and Aquila as well. Interestingly, Paul says to Timothy, bring Mark along with him as someone who is useful for missionary service. Mark had once not lived up to Paul's expectations, but he obviously was someone who learned and continued to serve. Don't be surprised when God does this kind of work in someone you know. Missionaries make mistakes. They have failures, just like everyone else. Paul makes it clear that God never fails us, and he never failed Paul. So think about Paul's situation in the context of this passage. He's in prison, facing execution. He knows he is facing execution, yet he is still seeking to see the gospel proclaimed to the world, and he is deploying his fellow missionaries and co-laborers to the very end. He simply says, bring my cloak, parchments, and books. No self-pity, no complaining. Paul had suffered indescribable hardships. Paul knew what a life of sacrifice was like, but he understood that the, the life of Christ had sacrificed for him as a sinner and for us who are sinners was of greater value than his own sacrifice and suffering. He considered himself not only a sinner, but undeserving of God's forgiveness. He never forgot that the grace, what the grace of God had done in his life. He was saved by grace. He was a follower of Jesus by grace. So let's summarize perhaps at this point, Paul's situation and his actions. He's in prison. He's facing execution. He remains focused on his mission and the gospel ministry to the Gentiles and to the nations. He deploys his missionary colleagues to strategic places to strengthen existing churches and to expand their gospel proclamation. He affirms the restoration to missionary service of Mark with he and his missionary co-laborers. He asks for nothing but a coat, some parchments, and books. Paul had few earthly possessions in his missionary ministry, but now he has none. Before his conversion, Paul most surely had many possessions and comforts, but now he has nothing. Yet he ends his life with more true riches than he could ever have imagined. Philippians chapter 3, verses 7 and 8 says this, Whatever was gain, I count as loss, that I may gain Christ. I have suffered the loss of all things, but count them as rubbish. In one sense, Paul considered his life to be an offering unto the Lord. 
And he will say that a crown awaits him in heaven. And in fact, to all of those who love his appearing. Paul wants, uh, John Piper cited an incident in the biography of William Tyndall. One year before he was strangled and burned at the stake in 1536 for giving us the English Bible. Tyndall was in prison just north of Brussels. And he wrote this, I beg your lordship that if I am to remain here through the winter, you will request the commissary to have the kindness to send me from the goods which are mine, a warmer coat also. For this one that I have is very thin. And also a patch for my leggings. But most of all, I beg and beseech your clemency, be urgent with the commissary that he will kindly permit me to have the Hebrew Bible, Hebrew grammar, and Hebrew dictionary, that I may pass the time with that study. Now, I'm confident that that is exactly how every Southwestern Baptist Theological Seminary and Texas Baptist College student feels about their Hebrew classes here, especially with fall break coming up. Then Paul presents an enemy to Timothy, an enemy of Paul, an enemy of the gospel, Alexander. He warns Timothy to beware of him. We should never be surprised by outspoken, even malicious opponents of the gospel in our gospel ministry. This is a difficult moment for Paul, but he had more important things to accomplish than resolving this attack. And he simply says, the Lord will repay him for his deeds. So after this, Paul changes a theme to his defense before the empire. There's a movement in the Greek text to this next theme in verses 16 through 18, which is Paul's final public gospel proclamation that we have by record. Here's what he says. At my first defense, no one came to stand by me, but all deserted me. May it not be charged against them. But the Lord stood by me and strengthened me so that through me the message might be fully proclaimed and all the Gentiles might hear it. And so I was rescued from a lion's mouth and the Lord will rescue me from every evil deed and bring me safely into his heavenly kingdom. To him be the glory forever and ever, amen. Paul's now entering into an explanation and presenting the legal process at that moment in his life and his place in it. Verse 16 contains a stunning statement. No one came to stand beside me. It's not made clear in this passage just what this meant in the legal process. Perhaps this was some type of hearing that would have dismissed or lessened the charges against Paul, a type of preliminary hearing. Perhaps there were character witnesses or others who might have given testimony on his behalf. There are some who would have stood with him. Paul sent them to other places. Luke had been with him. But what is clear from this statement is that those church leaders and Christians that could have stood with him did not in this time in the legal process, and he stood alone. It's disheartening, it's troubling, but nonetheless, Paul was granted more time, and he apparently did not expect to ultimately be released 
His concern was to see the gospel fully proclaimed to the nations through his trial and his imprisonment. His concern was to focus and fulfill his mission and calling. He knew his execution was near. It's an exhortation to us that Paul did not hold his abandonment against those fellow believers as he did against Demas. Could be because there were fear of execution if they identified with Paul. Nero's reign was monstrous. Perhaps they considered that their silence at that moment would allow them to have further public, uh, further service in proclaiming the gospel in the future. Whatever it may be, Paul's example is great for us. Paul said, may it not be counted against them. And then Paul said that he was delivered from the mouth of the lion. He was given more time in the midst of this horrendous process, expecting his execution. He was given more time to proclaim the gospel. And through his public proclamation in defense of himself throughout the Roman Empire, the story would have been told over and over again. Paul saying to Timothy, Timothy, don't turn back when people abandon you. Don't turn back when people oppose you. Paul never lost his devotion to his mission, even to the very end. He faced discouragement, but he never gave up. He faced distraction, but he rejected it and finished the course. He loved others, but he was never content to see them simply live. He exhorted them and he built into their lives to give their lives completely to Christ in the proclamation of the gospel, to finish God's mission. In verse seven, just before this passage we we're looking at, Paul says, I have fought the good fight. I have finished the race. I have kept the faith. He had done what God placed before him and no obstacle could stop him. God strengthened him in this darkest moment to proclaim the gospel in this public forum in Rome. And from there, the news would be spread throughout the world, told and retold. William Carey has been called the father of modern missions. One of the biographies of his life narrates his life and some of the many difficulties that he faced. He left India, he left England for India in 1793, and he never returned home to England. He served there for 40 years, never taking a leave or a forlough or what we call a stateside assignment. Two wives died, one survived. And after 20 years of hard work and sacrificial ministry, a fire destroyed all that he had written and prepared. He was in another town when he found out about the fire. He shed tears and he said, in one short evening, the labors of years were consumed. How unsearchable are the ways of God. I had brought some things to the utmost perfection of which they seemed capable and I contemplated the missionary establishment with perhaps too much self-congratulation. The Lord has laid me low that I may look more simply upon him. Carrie had been compelled by the Lord himself and the great commission and the promise of the Lord when the Lord said, and behold, I am with you always, even to the end of the age. But God stood by William Carey and he strengthened him and he gave him historic fruitfulness in the coming decades. Just as God had stood 
by Paul and strengthened him. And God is doing this around the world today. He is faithful to his servants. He is faithful to those who are proclaiming the gospel. He will always be faithful to you. He will strengthen you, strengthen me. He is with you and he is with me. Paul challenged people to make hard decisions and follow Christ. Jim Elliott's a very well-known story, a martyred missionary in Ecuador in 1956. And he captured this calling of Paul when he wrote these words. Father, make me a crisis man. Bring those I contact to decision. Let me not be a milepost or a simple road. Make me a fork that men must turn one way or the other on facing Christ in me. Jim Elliott was like Paul when he said that. And Paul was a missionary to the very end. Verse 18 shows us, he will rescue me from every evil deed and bring me safely into his heavenly kingdom. In his darkest hour, no doubts, no regrets, no fear, God will rescue me for his heavenly kingdom. And so Paul finishes this passage with a final recognition of his gratefulness to missionary co-laborers in verses 19 to 22. Greek Prisca and Achilla and the household of Onesiphorus, Erastus remained at Corinth, and I, took, and I left Trophimus, who was ill at Miletus. Do your best to come before winter, second time. Eubulus sends greetings to you, as do Pudens and Linus and Claudia and all the brothers. The Lord be with your spirit. Grace be with you. Paul ends this epistle remembering some of his faithful co-laborers and missionary colleagues. He sends them greetings and blessings. He loved them. First is Prisca and Achilla, a wonderful Christian couple dedicated to serving the Lord and teaching God's word and its truths. They're mentioned in other books in the New Testament. They befriended Paul in Corinth. They served with him as tent makers for a time. They served together with him at Ephesus. They also had a church in their home. He mentions Onesiphorus only here in this epistle and in verse 16 of chapter one. Paul was very grateful to him. Timothy was to take this letter, read it to others so that they would know Paul's deep gratefulness and appreciation for them. He enters his plea again for Timothy to come before winter. And then there are four more names mentioned here only in the New Testament. They're perhaps members of the church in Rome or part of the continuing missionary ministry outreach of the early church. Each one is important and they are named. Paul remembered people. Each of his co-laborers or fellow servants in the gospel were important and he let them know that here. Our president, Dr. Dockery, does this often at our seminary in Texas Baptist College recognizing the roles of people, the names of people, their importance to our mission here at Texas Baptist College and Southwestern Seminary. We should do the same. It is important. It is a challenge to me and perhaps to you as well. Paul remembered people. And then finally, Paul extends his final blessing to Timothy. It's a blessing and a benediction. Remember the work of the Lord in you, the Holy Spirit, Timothy, I'm close to the time of my death and I will no longer be with you on earth, but the Lord will be with you always. 
And then grace be with you. Paul knew well the grace of God. He was saved, called, sustained, made an apostle, commissioned to gospel ministry, strengthened for missionary service, and blessed always by the grace of God. And he finishes his life as he began it, by the grace of God. And he wishes that for others, for us. You and I need the grace of God in our lives. Jerry Bridges, a navigator leader, once wrote on a, in a book on holiness, your worst days are never so bad that you are beyond the grace, the reach of God's grace. And your best days are never so great that you are beyond the need of God's grace. And so it is. And so we remember Paul's final words for faithful missionary service, his final instructions, his final public proclamation of the gospel, his final recognition of his fellow co-laborers. And when we remember, we are reminded and exhorted to receive and live out God's great mission by God's great grace. I just returned from Brazil where I was last week. Uh, earlier last week, I was speaking uh, at the largest Baptist church in Brazil. I dare say <clears throat> one of the largest Baptist churches in all of the Americas, including North America. It's located on a large plot of land about an hour outside of Sao Paulo in Brazil. <clears throat> Has an enormous facility or facilities and buildings. Uh, but as you drive into the entrance on that land and see all of those facilities, there is a large sculptured metal globe uh, of planet Earth. And the pastor was with me and he pointed to the globe. He said, we refer to these facilities as our campus. And then he pointed to the globe and he said, <clears throat> this globe is a reminder to us. This sculpture is intended to remind us that this campus is not our world. The world is our campus. I think they get it. This is Paul's focus till the very end that everyone should hear the gospel and that is our mission. We play different roles in that. We have different gifts in that, but that is what we are looking unto. As Paul would have said, to see the gospel proclaimed to the nations and all of the nations. Paul's words are stunning as always, encouraging. They're very personal here but he wants us to avail again of the grace of the great and living God for all that we do and to never forget and be distracted from God's great mission to take the gospel to the nations. Almighty God, we, we thank you for the truth of your word. We thank you for its power, how vibrant it is to speak to us, we are humbled by the example of Paul. 
we are challenged by your words and we are brought to our knees to say, without your grace and power, we can do nothing. We are encouraged, as Paul would have said, that we are looking to your appearing, your coming. And that is our hope. And we, almighty God, are waiting on the coming of Jesus. But as we wait, please find us faithful, Lord, to do what you have commissioned us to do. And we will thank you for all you are going to do. For by grace, we have been saved and we have been sustained and we are being sent. To you alone be the glory forever and ever. In Jesus' name, amen.